we could all testify with assurance. It's not an easy road that we're traveling to heaven. Each of us knows what it is to face burdens, trials, problems, difficulties. I can remember one particular time I was going through a, a challenging period in my Christian life and I was really seeking the Lord about it and I remember turning to Matthew, I was reading down through uh, the Sermon on the Mount and came to Matthew chapter 7 and I got what you would call one of those real gems, a real nugget. And in Matthew chapter 7, we read here in the words of verse 13, Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat, because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto, unto life, and many there be, or few there be that find it. And the word there, for narrow, the narrow road, the narrow road that the Christian is on, the narrow road that you and I as God's people tread day after day. That word there, that Greek word, tethnomene, it means afflict, narrow, suffer tribulation, trouble. It's only one, only one time in the New Testament is this word translated as narrow. And it's here in Matthew chapter 7 where we read about that narrow way. For as narrow is the way which leadeth unto life and few there be that find it. The way that you and I tread the narrow way. It's a way of tribulation, affliction, trials. And we can certainly all identify with that whenever we consider the lives of great men and women of faith, men and women who walked with God, whether that is through the Word of God and in the Word of God or throughout church history, we will always find that those individuals, they had their burdens to bear, their crosses to carry. We think, for instance, in Scripture of David, who was one who was continually being persecuted and hunted. He spoke of being hunted like a partridge there upon the mountainside. Think of Joseph being sold into slavery and into Egypt, thrown into prison, etc. Think of Daniel and the many persecutions and the afflictions that God's servant faced. It's not, it's not an easy road. We're traveling to heaven. Perhaps... It's been a difficult time in your life recently. A particular problem, a burden, the cause of many tears. I know personally how long how prolonged sickness can really have a major impact upon a life. Uh, whenever I was studying at the Whitfield, remember that after the, it was the first year, I completed the first year, and it was in the summertime that we got off for the summer recess. And we, of course, the students always look forward to summertime after the exams were over. And uh, when it came to that point, someone asked me, well, how did your first year in college go? And I remember turning to them and I said, it's been wonderful. Do you know this year I have had the best health I've had in a long while? And it's been wonderful. And it's as if the words were just out of my mouth when everything changed. That summer, 
I was admitted to hospital. I received some medical news that was just really challenging, to say the least. And it would result in the next 30 years of constant antibiotic treatment, infections, wearing me down, multiple hospitalizations, and prolonged sickness. And at times, it hasn't been an easy road. And yet, we must not make the mistake of thinking, well, someone's had prolonged sickness, whatever that means. That, to give you an example, if someone has, for instance, if they've maybe suffered, I haven't had a heart attack yet, <laughs> but if somebody has, for instance, had something like a, a major concern like that, that they're automatically, because they're going to have time at home, they're going to have lots of time to read, to pray, to study, to do those things. Because oftentimes, in times of sickness, it's difficult to read. It's challenging to pray. It really is. In fact, I'll tell you that whenever I was in hospital, I always longed for someone to come to the bed just to open up God's word and to bring me a verse. To share with me something from God's word. Because the mind was just so clouded and so taken up with sickness and the pain and, and all the challenges that went with illness. How important it is that we bring a word of encouragement. Brother or sister, I'm praying for you. Here's a verse I want to leave with you. The apostle knew much about suffering and trials in his Christian life. He exhorted the Lord's people to continue in the faith. Acts 14 says that we must through much tribulation enter the kingdom of God. It's not an easy road. It's through much tribulation. Paul, however, Paul, despite the trials, the discouragements, the difficulties, he exhorted them to keep on going. Child of God, you and I, we are to keep on keeping on, to keep on going. There was a particular burden that Paul bore. He describes it as the thorn in his flesh. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 7, Lest I should be exalted above measure, through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh. This thorn in his flesh. The purpose of that thorn, Paul knew, he stated it was to keep him humble. They say there is a danger for pride. And every believer, every child of God, we're susceptible to pride. And the Lord desires and he wants us to be humble. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, the apostle Paul spoke about his experience whenever he had been caught up to the third heaven. He describes those different levels. He uses terminology that was common in that day. The blue sky, the first heaven, the starry sky, the second heaven, the third heaven referred to as the place of God's abode. In that chapter, in this chapter here, chapter 12, verse 7, Paul said, there was given me a thorn in the flesh. Now, now there are many opinions and theories as to what Paul's thorn in the flesh actually was. Commentators have speculated uh, 
that the thorn in his flesh, for instance, was his poor eyesight. Turn with me, please, to Galatians chapter 6, and the words here of verse 11. Galatians 6, verse 11. Ye see how large a letter I have written unto you with mine own hand. And some commentators have the opinion that this actually refers not only to the the length of the letter, but to the actual size of the letters that he wrote. And it was because he was a man suffering from very poor eyesight. Others have thought it was to do with his hearing or a constant headache. We read about that in 2 Corinthians and the chapter 10 and the words here of verse 10. Here we read, For his letters, say they, are weighty and powerful, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech contemptible. We know that Paul had some weakness in his body. Others would say that it was a person who opposed him at the church in Corinth. Look at verse 7 again of 2 Corinthians chapter 12 where we read here in verse 7. About this thorn in the flesh, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, that I should be exalted above measure. And so some commentators actually think and believe that that was an individual within the church, someone who was there, who was opposing Paul and set against him. Suffering comes in various and many shapes and forms, whether that's physical, emotional, psychological. Now it's important for us to realize that here the Holy Spirit does not define what Paul's thorn in the flesh actually was. I think that's because if you and I knew what that thorn in the flesh was, we could therefore come to this portion and say, well, Paul suffered from paralysis, but that's not my problem. Or was this person in the church there who was constantly opposing him, but that's not what I'm going through. Mine's different. I read this pertinent quote in the Biblical Illustrator. If we meet with a brother whom God blesses, let us not conclude that his pathway is all smooth. His roses have their thorns. His bees have their stings. The reality is very simple. Everybody has their problems and trials to face. No one is exempt. Paul said there was given to me a thorn in the flesh. A messenger of the messenger of Satan to buffet me lest I should be exalted. The word buffet there is in that verb is in the, the present sense. In other words, the, the pain that he faced, the trial that he, was, that he was going through, it was ongoing. It was continual. To use a familiar term, you may have been going through the mill lately. Seems there's no let up, no end in sight. The apostle bore a tremendous, tremendous bodily burden, tremendous burden daily. Thorn in Paul's flesh, this overwhelming problem, burden he carried, isn't named so that you and I can identify with him. It's applicable, isn't it, to everyone listening? 
No matter what circumstance you and I face in life, no matter what we go through, what trials, no matter how deep the valley, God has a word for us. His grace is sufficient. He is able to make the need. I want us to just to consider the grace of God this morning from our passage. First of all, I want you to consider Paul's request regarding the thorn in his flesh. We read about it here in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 8. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. Paul requested. He prayed about this matter. You see, this was a precise request. He's praying very specifically about a certain matter. He brings this matter to the Lord in prayer. Can I say, now it's, when we think about prayer, it's important that we are specific and that we are precise in prayer. That we ask the Lord for certain things. Now, it is good to be general. In that sense, when we pray that the Lord will bless a missionary family and he will bless God's people and meet them at the point of their need, that's what we would call general prayer. Collective praying. But we need to be precise. We need to ask the Lord about certain matters and he brings this matter before the Lord. He specifically sets time aside to pray about this, this matter. He's going to bring this precise matter to the Lord. It was also a persistent request that Paul made. Notice what he, we read here. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice. Now this could either mean that he prayed often about this particular matter or that he prayed on three distinct separate occasions three times about the matter. What we do know is that he Prayed earnestly, fervently, wholeheartedly, frequently about this matter, this thorn in his flesh. We also think about the purpose of his request. What did he pray about? For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. He desired to have the problem removed. He desired that the Lord would take it away. Whenever we think about a literal thorn, for instance, in the flesh, it would bring about most certainly discomfort and pain. I was out with the dog the other day, and it's only an animal, by the way, and they noticed that the dog was limping and there was a thorn stuck on its paw, and I had to pull it out. It had to be removed. And once it was, the, there was that ease. And that's just for the animal. But you think if you or I, if we had a thorn, a literal thorn in our flesh, it wouldn't be long before the area around it would be affected. It would begin to become infected, and it would begin to spread. And though just a little thorn, oh, our body would soon know about it. We would feel the pain. We would feel it being a distraction, a hindrance to us. This passage here shows us that Paul requested that the Lord would remove this particular thing. But we also see 
the Lord's response to Paul's request. Notice how the Lord responded to his servant. The Lord, we read here in the verse 9, And he said unto me, God said unto me, My grace, Paul, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. The apostle was a man who was used with seeing the Lord answer prayer in most miraculous ways. He had seen God's hand moving in the lives of others in a tremendous fashion. Oh, I had seen the Holy Ghost move in power. We might, might, might well suggest here that Paul certainly did not expect to receive this answer about the matter. He didn't expect for this response to be given by the Lord. And he said unto me. You could just underline those words. God had a personal, direct, individual word for Paul. It was tailor-made. How we need to hear from God. Now it's good to have counsel from others and to have the help of others. But ultimately we need to have a word from God. He said unto me. That of course once again highlights the very fact that we will only hear from the Lord whenever we get before him quietly in this secret place. The importance of God's word. The Lord of course is not going to speak to us. By a vision, a dream, an angel. By an audible voice. God speaks through his word. You know we, we thank the Lord for our church denomination. That places an emphasis upon the word of God. That the word of God is central to everything that we do. It's central to our worship. That's why we read the word of God in our churches. Because it's central it's at the very heart. God speaks through his word. My grace. My grace, Paul, is sufficient for thee. Notice that God's grace. The Lord here, how he responded. He said, Paul, my grace is essential. It's all we need. There is never a day that you and I do not need the grace of God. We need his grace every day. It's also enough, isn't it? It is sufficient. There are times in all of our lives when perhaps we're brought to, how am I going to cope? How am I going to get through? How am, I, how am I going to respond? What am I going to do? His grace. Child of God, his grace is sufficient. I must, I'm going to, I, over the past, Year have been greatly challenged. And I'll just say it openly with my own lack of understanding at times. Just what people go through. During last summer, 
Our brother, Reverend Stephen Hamilton's wife, went home to glory. We were at the funeral. And I must admit, it's brought a whole new perspective to me about grief. You see, I thought that I could understand what God's servant would be going through. And after all, my mother's passed away, my father's passed away, other family members have passed away. But then when I talked to our brother, it just put a completely new perspective. Nothing, he said, can prepare you for it. It's unlike every other type of grief. And it really, I says, really challenged me. Because there are so many of the Lord's people who are really going through the mill. And one day it will be our turn. And we'll face the same. But child of God, you and I are those the Lord has called to be a help and an encouragement to those going through the trials. As you know, our brother recently has been facing major uh, illness as well. I was speaking to him just the other day and I'd encourage you to pray for our brother, Reverend Hamilton, and Reverend Wagner, and think of the Reverend uh, Ferguson and others who have, you know, and others who are near and dear to us. Pray that the Lord will draw near and give them that grace and help in time of need. God's grace is enough. God's grace is everything. I remember my mother when she was diagnosed with cancer, and it was terminal cancer, and she only had a, a few months to live. She was given a six-month time frame. She, last, she lived for uh, three months, six weeks. And I, when I heard the prognosis, I thought, how is my mother ever going to cope? And do you know how she coped? Because God's grace is enough. The Lord is able to meet us at the very point of our need. See, it's Spurgeon said, It is folly to think the Lord provides grace for every trouble, but the one you're in today, as sure as God puts his children in the furnace of affliction, he will be with them in it. Praise the Lord for that. Thank the Lord today for one who is there with us in our trials. Spurgeon also said, Those who dive in the sea of affliction bring up rare Parents, how true that is. God's grace to the believer, his response, it's also exclusive. And it is exclusive. It's the believer who is a privilege and blessing of knowing the presence of God in the midst of trials. My grace. Now, all men, are, of course, are particular of common grace, God's common grace. We read that the Lord causes the Sun to shine on the evil and on the good. 
There is that sense of God's common grace to all men. You know, you, you think of the very fact that there are those, even in our own society, and they, and they will curse God, and they will deny God, and they will mock God, and yet they breathe his very air. The very air he created, the very heartbeat within their body is held in his hands. So God is good to all. But oh, the special grace of God. That grace toward his people. It's special. Stems and flows through Christ. The Apostle Paul, who testified the very fact that the Lord had saved them by his grace and redeemed them, also testified the fact that it was the Lord who would sanctify him and who would sustain him through his grace. Can I say, God's grace, it is exclusive. You're not a Christian. I've often thought, and I know that we do as the Lord's people, how do people manage without the Lord? I was very sick before I was a Christian and got saved. Do you know how you get through? You just get through. You try to Focus on other things, distractions. But you have no peace. No assurance. No hope. God's grace is exclusive. God's grace is extended. It's available. We are to come boldly under the throne of heavenly grace. Why? That we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We have one, praise God today, one in the glory... He understands. He cares. But Paul still needed to come in the deal of that grace. It's not just enough to know that God's grace is sufficient. God's grace can meet the need. God's grace can help us. We have to partake of it. Not go on in some sort of self-reliant mood. Just getting on. Getting through. The Lord desires that we would come and we would just throw ourselves, just cast ourselves upon him. Our complete dependence upon Christ, that we would rest upon him. Paul received this response. The Lord says to Paul, you've asked me about this matter. You've asked me to remove this particular burden. Paul, my grace is sufficient for thee. My strength is made perfect in weakness. The word strength is a word that most Christians are very familiar with. It's the word dunamis. It means power. My power is made perfect in weakness. Notice here that Paul here speaks of the very fact of the power of Christ. Look at verse 9 in 2 Corinthians 12. He said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities. Now notice these words. That the power of Christ may rest upon me. The power of Christ. Because Paul knew that though he was weak through this trial, that through Christ, There was a power given to live for him, to testify of him. 
He knoweth the way that I take. When he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. The Lord's desire for Paul is his same desire for every one of his children. That we would know him in a closer, more intimate way. That you and I would know what it is to cast our burden upon him. Can I say, child of God, whether you're saved one year, 50 years, there is a height to knowing God we have never reached. A depth. There's a breadth to knowing God we have never, never experienced. But the Lord desires, oh, there's so much more to knowing Christ and his sufficiency and his grace. Spurgeon I've quoted him a number of times this morning, but see it, Spurgeon said, Do not become self-sufficient. Self-sufficiency is Satan's net where he catches men like poor, silly fish and destroys them. Be not self-sufficient. The way to grow strong in Christ is to become weak in yourself. God pours no power into a man's heart Till all is poured out. Live then daily a life of dependence upon the grace of God. Can I say just in closing for, I've just noticed that time is gone, but can I say in closing, I just want you to think very briefly of Paul's resignation to the will of God. Paul requests that the Lord remove this burden. The Lord's response was he's going to give him the grace, but here we have his Resignation to God's will. What does Paul say? Most gladly, therefore, I will rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon him. It seems to be somewhat of a paradox, doesn't it? Being weak and yet strong. Being feeble and yet having might. He talks of this very fact, for when I am weak, then I am strong. But he's a man here submitted to the will of God, submitted to the plan of Christ. This is not something that he would naturally desire, nor we would desire. But we are called to walk by faith and not by sight. He recognized, yes, God did have a plan and purpose for his life. And there was a greater purpose in view and in Mind And Paul resigned himself. He didn't fight against the will of God for his life. He resigned himself to it. Lord, if this is the way that I am to take, then, Lord, I'm going to rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. That Christ will be glorified through me. Paul, who said that whether by life, by death, Christ will be glorified in his body, what an example. Resigned to the Lord's will. We think of the greatest example in Scripture of Christ Himself. One who always did His Father's bidding, His Father's will. We're called to follow in our Savior's footsteps. My grace. Sufficient. Child of God, whatever we face, today, tomorrow, 
the days ahead. He loves us. Give himself for us. And he will. He's promised. To meet us at the point of need. But we've got to cast ourselves upon him. And pray that the Lord would give us new grace for each day.